an amen and an amen. Thank you, Caleb. Well, we've been in a series together. This is the last installment of a series that we've entitled. Someone say, it's all good. It's all good. And what we've been learning together is that no matter what's going on in your life, that you can live your life in a way that it's just all good. So no matter what's going on around your life, it doesn't have to move your life. And the illustration we've used is the illustration of a wheel. And I don't have my bike up here today, but you remember that the, the, the wheel would spin. And you can't stop the wheel from spinning. You can't stop your life from spinning. It's always going to spin. But, but what you can do is determine where you're going to live on the will while it, while it spins. And where you choose to live on the will will actually determine the effect of the spin on your life. If, if you're on the outside of the will, like somebody, I'm living on the edge. Like you need to stop it, okay? Because living on the edge, you're dizzy. It's like a merry-go-round. When you're on the outside, you're just barely holding on. But if you could move to the middle... It actually centers you, and it doesn't, the, the spinning of, the, of, of life and the will around you doesn't affect you as much. And you could find yourself, like Paul the Apostle, in the middle of his will, spinning like crazy. Someone would say, out of control. Paul would say, but none of these things move me. It's like, Paul, how do you live like that? He says, I, I live centered. Centered. And it, it's not centered in some, like, mystic way. It's centered in a theological way. Like, there are some things that you can understand about yourself and about God that are shown to us in his word that will center you theologically. They give you a theological backbone that you could stand upright no matter what's happening around you in the world. And so we've been looking at Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, David, King David's looking back at his life and sharing with us how he lives so centered. I mean, David's, David's will was spinning like crazy, everybody. I mean, he, like he... He, like, he had his life uh, being threatened by King Saul, chasing around from cave to cave. He experienced the loss of a child. He had great victories, David and Goliath. He had great, great failures, David and Bathsheba. And yet David looks back at it all, and, and God looks at David's life and says, he's still a man after my own heart. And David, David just had this ability to stay centered in all of it. And so I believe what he's doing in Psalm 23 is going, hey, everybody, here's how I did it. And what we learned together is that First of all, you've got to be surrendered. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, right? What's that mean? It's like, it means I'm not a big deal. I don't, my, I don't own my life. He owns my life. The Lord is my shepherd. He owns me and he, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, he said. That's what he said, that's surrender. David goes on to say, if we continue to read, restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though, go ahead, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they come for me. What's happening in David's life here? He's gone from surrender. He's not just surrendered his life, but he's moved into this place of faith and trust. See, David had a plan for when things didn't go according to plan. And his plan was just to keep trusting God. When it was dark and it was cold, it was scary, David said, I'm just gonna keep trusting you. My life's not my own, and God, I'm going to trust you wholeheartedly. I'm going to, I'm going to live in this place of faith. Like, and you can. That centers you, friends. A, a surrendered life is a, is a centered life. A, a, a trusting life is, is a centered life. And, and here's the next part of this that I want you to see. David says this third part. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Like, David, how did, you, how did you stay so centered while everything was spinning around you? David said, I just realized this, that God always had a table prepared for me in the presence of my enemy. 
You, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so if David was anchored by, centered by, by surrender, if he was surrendered by faith, in this last part, he's surrendered by promise. David says, I look back at my life and I know that there's these, I realize that there's these promises of God for me that I hold on to in the middle of whatever's going on. David says that there's a table right here and there's a house over there. You see, no matter what's going on, I always know there's a table right here and there's a house over there. Can I talk to you about the promises of God for your life? Can I talk to you about the fact that there's a, there's a table right here? You know, the, the, the table represents the provision of God over your life. Come on, God is, God is our provider, amen? Yes. Amen? Yes. Not provider just in like, God's gonna help you pay the bills next week. God's gonna help you with like these crazy gas prices, right? Like, my goodness, how are we gonna make it? Like, God is our provider. But it's actually deeper than that. The understanding of God as our providers is that God actually, watch, provides everything we need in every moment that we need it. It's not just money, it's strength. It's not just money, it's patience, it's endurance. It's not just money and finances, friends. It's, it's emotional stability. It's everything you need in every moment that you need it. Your God is a great provider. He's the provider of your finances, but he's also the provider of your next breath. He's the provider of your opportunities. He's a provider of wisdom to direct your life. He's our provider. Is anyone thankful that God is your provider today? That he, he continues to give you everything you need in every moment that you need it? You know, when Tatum and I uh, got married, we actually, we actually had our wedding rings made custom. And so we collected actually some gold. I, I actually... Uh, I think you know this, Tatum. I, I found some of the gold that's in our, in our wedding rings. I, my dad, when I was uh, young, taught me how to pan for gold. And he would bring home these buckets of dirt that were always filled with gold. And I don't know where he was getting the dirt, everybody. I don't know if he was stealing it from somebody's backyard. I have no idea. Um, dad, you have to tell me later. But I'd find some gold and I had a little, little uh, vial of gold. And we pulled some gold from other places. And we had it all melted together. And, and a friend... Um, who knew how to make rings, I made us these rings. And so we had the opportunity to customize these and to think, what are we gonna put on them? And so we wanted this to be something that would be something we'd hold on to for a whole life. Like God, what do, as we, we set out on this adventure, life's a great adventure, amen? And God, as we set out on this adventure together, what is it that we, we just need to be reminded of? What do you want to speak over us? How are we going to live? Like, what, what is the word for our marriage and for our life? And, and God led us to one of his names in scripture. It's, it's Jehovah Jireh. Do you know what it means? The Lord is our what? Provider. But do you know that there's actually a, 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 a deeper meaning to it? Our, 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 our rings say this in, in, in Hebrew. It, it, the name actually comes from the root word is the Lord sees. It's what it literally means. The application of that is he will therefore provide. But it's not just God provides. It's he sees and then therefore provides. So God sees. Hey, God sees you. He sees your hopes. 
He sees your dreams. He sees your frustrations. He sees your doubt. He sees your hurt. He sees, he sees the things that no one else sees. And because he sees, friends, he then therefore provides for your hurt and for your need and for your strength and for your... See, he, he sees. You have a God who sees the things no one else does. And he says, I'll be there for you. I am your provider. Tate and I have seen that over and over again in our lives. Like God is just, he provides. I can't, I can't even explain it to you. He's just so good. Everything we need in every season that we, we need it. And so David sees this provision like a table. That's set before him. And what do you think of when you think of a table? Man, there's food on the table, right? Like, there's like, it's like Thanksgiving every day at the table. Like, pick your favorite meal. That's what's at the table. There's food at the table. And, and, and David just sees the provision of God like this table, this banquet, this feast that's always there ready and, and, and waiting for him. There's this food. And food provides for us, as you know, it's, it's the basic necessity of life. It provides for you the strength you need to make it through your day. Right? Without food, you, you can't make it through your day. Remember when, when Jesus taught us to pray? He said, pray this way. Give us this day our daily what? Bread. God was saying, I need you to learn to come to this table every day because at it you're going to get bread. You're going to get the basic things of what you need for the day. Like without this, you can't make it. Like if you don't come here and get your bread, you can't live through the day. And so that bread is for us at this, at this table. That bread's meant to nourish you and strengthen you. I, I, um, I have really bad eating habits. I'm going to you in on my life a little bit. I have really, really bad eating habits. And, um, and it all started back in the day in, when I was in junior high. I came out of, when I went out of elementary and into junior high, in elementary school, you always had these really cool, remember those metal lunch pails? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like some of you got like Star Wars or whatever it was. And I had, I had my Star Wars lunch pail. And it was cool when you're in elementary school to show up with your Star Wars and what, what pill do you have, you know, and you, you'd switch them out from time to time, whatever was, was cool at the moment. And so I got my Star Wars one, and then you pull out your, your sandwich that mom made you cut in a little heart, you know what I mean? And the napkin with a note on it, and you, you see your friends, like, my mom loves me, I, I, you know, my mom loves And it was cool when you were in elementary school. But when you go to junior high, and you're, you're opening up your lunch pail, and your, your sandwich is cut like a heart, and there's a note on a, on a napkin, that's not cool. That's just not cool anymore. And so, so I was like, well, I can't take my lunch pail to junior high, and maybe, I'm going to brown bag it. Right, just gonna brown back. Take the brown back. You know, like that's cool, right? But then mom, she starts to decide. She decides to start writing all over your brown back. Now there's hearts and little doodles all over your brown. My mom loves me, everybody. I get, and all of a sudden that's not cool, you know. So, so here's the point of all of that is I, I just got into this really bad habit in junior high where I, I would eat in the morning. I wouldn't eat through the through the day, and I'd come home and have a little bit of snack or dinner at night. And I, I to this day, I'll get up in the morning and have. I have oatmeal every single day. There's a point in this, everybody, besides just my, my dietary regimen, okay? Like, I get up and I have my oatmeal, and I know you probably don't believe me, but I mean this. I can go through the day, and I just don't get hungry. I don't, I don't think about it. Like, Tatum, like, have you eaten today? I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, told, I had breakfast, but I've, I've totally forgotten, forgotten to eat. But here's how you know when I haven't eaten. I got a little bit of an attitude, <laughs> Get a little cranky, you know what I mean? I get a little, I just fire back at you a little bit sooner than I typically would. I got to, and everyone just knows, have you eaten yet, Dad? 
oh, we need to get dad some food because you get him some food and all of a sudden everything's going to change for him. He's just a whole new man when you get that boy some food, right? And so everyone knows. And here's the point, everybody. Food gets you what you need to make it through your day. And if you don't get the food you need, you won't make it through the day. And the food you need, the sustenance you need, the strength you need is there for you every day at this table that's waiting for you, this table that's got everything for you. Matter of fact, the, the psalmist said this, do you remember in Psalm 23, he says, you restore my soul. So this isn't just like physical strength. You restore my soul. What is a soul? Your soul is the seat of your emotions, of your passions, of your, of your drive, your ambitions. It's, 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 the, it's the seat of, of all that, that moves you. And David says at this table is where you'll see your soul restored. Some of you have come in here today feeling, man, you just feel a little downtrodden. You feel burdened. You feel zapped of life. And you, you just maybe even feel like giving up. You, you're, you're tired. You're, you're, you're hurting. And friends, there's a table that's prepared for you. Like you don't have to live that way. There's a table that's prepared for you where God will, if you can get to the table, God will restore your soul. He'll recenter. Literally, the word restore means to bring back to the middle, bring back to where it's supposed to be. He'll restore your soul, friends. God doesn't want you walking around with your head down. Scripture says he's the lifter of our head. And if you get that table, friends, he will lift your head. The promise of provision is there and refreshment is there and encouragement is there. Where? At the table. Did you notice where the table was? Do you notice where the table is? You prepare a table for me. Okay, God, where is it? In the presence of my enemies. Can I talk to you for a second? You've told yourself that you will be restored that you will experience joy and peace and you once again will, will, will walk in, in strength when God gets rid of your enemies. When I don't have that financial, come on, you've done this, I've done it. When I no longer have this financial situation, then I'll experience joy again. When, when I no longer have them giving me their attitude, then I'll experience peace again. I'll walk in strength once God deals with them, you know, gets, gives me a new boss, once God, right? And what's your problem today? Come on, you're looking around going, once that's gone, I'm going to experience joy. Friends, uh, excuse me, the Bible says that there's a table for you that's prepared in the midst of your enemies. He wants you at the table experiencing his nourishment and strength and joy and peace while all of that is still sitting around you. And you need to realize that. See, because you've been praying, God, would you, would you fix my financial situation? And would you, would you, God, they've been saying this about me. Would you shut their mouths? And God, would you, man, if, if he was out of the picture, if she was out of the picture, if, if he wouldn't have done that and she would stop doing this. And if he, and you're pointing at all these things. And once all these things are gone, God, then I'll be at peace. And you're praying for God to move in all those things. And it's, it's cool. You could pray for God to move in all those things. Do it. I've seen God Work in miraculous ways as we pray for all that. But what I want you to, experience, to, to know today and to realize today is that God actually wants to teach you something bigger. It's that even in the midst of all those things, 
you can keep your head up. In the midst of all those things, there's sustenance and there's strength and there's a table prepared for you in the presence, come on everybody, of your enemies. So there's a way to live your life that in the middle of them breathing threats, in the middle of that financial trouble, in the middle of my heartbreak, and in, in the middle of the things I don't understand, in the middle of the rising gas crisis, in the middle of the threat of war, in the, in the, middle, in the middle of all of it. Where are you going to find me? Right here at the table with my God, experiencing his peace and his presence and his strength and his sustenance and his goodness in the middle of all of it. See, Christian, here's the power of the gospel. It's that there's a table prepared for you. The world, look at the world is facing all the same problems you're facing. They're dealing with all the same issues and all the same dilemmas and all the same, you know, threats. But you walk through it different. Why? Because you've learned that there's a table where God wants to meet with you, where God wants to provide for you. And so you walk through all of it just like, I'm in it with you, but I'm walking through it different. See, I've got, a, I've got a strength, and I'm telling you, that's the power of the gospel. It's not that give your life to Jesus and all your problems go away. It's give your life to Jesus, you'll find yourself holding on to promise in the middle of all the problems. And those promises anchor you in the middle of all the problems. See, you're different. And that's the greatest testimony of the gospel to the world. It's not that everything's perfect. It's that you're walking with the one who is. Amen? And said, I've got a strength all up inside of me, no matter what is facing me. So, what's your problem? Come on. What's your problem? You've blamed your lack of, you've blamed your lack, you've, 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 you've blamed it on your problem. blame it on him, you blame it on her, you blame it on them, you blame it on the economy, you've blamed it on different presidents, you've blamed it on politicians, you've blamed it on, come on, you, you, if, if we just, friends, listen, I'm trying to get you to understand it's not their fault. There's a table for you in the presence of all that. And so we can't blame when we are not experiencing fulfillment and strength on all those things. We got to look at whether or not we've actually come to the table. Because if you come to the table like David, you go, I'm good. Even in the, see, even in the presence of all that stuff, I'm, I'm going to be all right. You see, that's just a, it's just a different way of living life when you realize that there's a table. So how, how do you get to the table? Listen, how, how do you do it? Like, how, how do I get there? Can I, can I tell you this, friends? Listen, you've got to fix your focus. Look at me right, right now. This is, you're going to walk away with this. And I'll give you one, a couple other things to walk away with, but here's a big one. Fix your focus. 
Like what you're focused on, what you put your eyes on, will often cause your heart to follow. What you're, what you're looking at is actually the thing that ends up uh, uh, affecting you the most. Do you, do you see what David is looking at right now? David's like, you're like, David, there's enemies all around you. And David's like, but did you see the table? Did you see the meal? But David, don't you see this threat? Don't you see that? And that one's this life-threatening. This is the, David's like, but there's a meal. So David's focus is on this meal that's in front of him and all of the problems around you. Some of you are so fixed on the problems that you've forgotten the promise. Never let problems overshadow promise. You've got to learn to fix your focus. When you fix your focus, man, the promise is always going to overshadow the problem. The promise is always going to hold me no matter what the problem. I've fixed my focus. I'm looking at the promise of God. I'm sitting at the table of God in the middle of all of it. Here's, here's a really good example. When you look in the book of, of Numbers, the children of Israel up, up against the, about to move into the promised land. It's the promised land. In other words, it's their land. It's, the, it's given to them. This is yours. It's their table. It's, it's everything. They get up to the edge of the promised land and they send in spies. The, the spies come back and they're like, hey, buddy, there's problems in the promised land. There's giants in the promised land. There's, there's walls of Jericho in the promised land. There's fortified cities in the promised land. There's, there's all sorts of issues with the promised land. And what starts to happen through the tribe of the children of Israel is that fear begins to grip their heart. And they start, they start complaining and getting worried. Like, well, maybe we shouldn't go into the promised land. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't set foot in there because, because there's all these problems. What happens is they're starting to focus on all the, all the problems. They're starting to focus on all the issues. And fear begins to grip their heart. And now all of a sudden, watch this, they find themselves in the place where they, they are no longer willing to march forward into the territory that already belongs to them. Some of you are, you, there's territory that already belongs to you. You're supposed, you could be living in it today. But you are so fixed on all the problems that you're unwilling to step into it. And everyone's worried and everyone's freaking out. They don't want us to go out. I mean, there's, there's, there's issues. There's problems. But there's these two men, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb are like filled with faith. They're like, faith. They're like who cares if there's problems in the promised land? I, I'm not going to let problems overshadow the promise. That's our land. That's our territory. God gave it to us. Let's hold on to the promise in the midst of the problems. Let's keep our eyes on the fact that this is land God has given us. We're going to focus on the promise even though there's problems. And they would step forward into the promised land. How? By holding on to promise in the midst of problems. Listen very close. Some of you are on the edge of the very territory that God wants to move you into. There's more. We always talk about it. There's more for you. But you are letting, you are so focused on all the problems and your issue and this thing and that thing and all, right, that you have, you, you, you're, you've crippled yourself. You've paralyzed yourself. You've got to fix your focus. The wheel's going to keep spinning. The problems are going to go away. They're all going to, but here's what you're going to do. There's promise. I've got a table that God will, has and will prepare for me every single day. 
that no matter what I might face in a day, he's going to be with me in the day. And so instead of backing down in fear, I'm going to step out in faith. Instead of backing down in fear, I'm going to step on promise. I'm going to, I'm going to put my foot down on promise. So what's the promise? He's going to be, if I step into that, if I move forward into, he's going to be with me. He's going to be there. He's going to, if, if, if I need the strength, because see, you've calculated, oh, that's a lot of strength. I don't know if I'm going to have the strength. Oh, and you get fearful. But God says, I will give it to you, but you're not going to experience it until you step into it. You see, some of you are, are running from your problems, and God says, you just need to run toward them. You're running from the thing that you're afraid of. You're, you're running from the thing that, that seems scary, and God says, you need to step out toward it, because promise is on your side. That's how David took down Goliath. Like, his promise is on my side. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Talking like this against the Lord of hosts. What is, what is David doing? He's holding on to the fact that his God is bigger than this Goliath. He's what? He's embracing promise. Caleb, Joshua, they, they, they're, in, they're embracing promise. Here's something that doesn't get talked about a lot is unless you're willing, i say it this way, promise is most often experienced in the middle of problems. Like, if you are always running from problems, then you rob yourself of experience promise. Like, what promise does, see, what promise does is it, is it shines when it's in the problem. It, it, it shines the brightest when, when things are darkest, you see. And so when it gets dark, don't run from the dark. Turn on the promise. Live in the gospel. Live in the hope. Live in what God's word says. Live in the fact that he's with you. Live in the fact that there's a table before me in the presence of my hand. Live in the fact that, that he is good. Live in the fact, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna light that up. And then, listen, then I go, Go and start telling these incredible stories of God's promise meeting me. Why? Because I ran out there against the Goliath. Right? I, 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 I stepped out into the territory, even though there was fortified cities and walls. Are, some of y'all, y'all looking at the, like the future of your marriage or your kids, you go, oh my goodness, there's a lot of problems. Don't give up. There's promise. He'll meet you every day. Don't worry about a week from now or a month from now. Step into the next day. Well, what am I going to do? Am I going to make it? I've been, I've been, God's had me clean for this long. Am I going to be clean for another? Hey, keep your eyes on every day. Just keep coming to the table. He will meet you every day and give you the sustenance you need every day, the strength you need every day if you just learn to get to the table and trust in his promise. And you find yourself getting strong in different areas and things you used to struggle with and things you used to wrestle with. Now, now it's like not a big deal anymore. Like God strengthened me in that area. Now he's actually growing me in other areas because he's now matured me in that area. And all while I, listen, keep walking in promise. Someone say there's a table. There's a table. There's a table. You just got to get to the table. Did you notice what else is at the table? He says I'm at the table and... You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. So in that day, it was customary that when you would have a guest over, if you're going to really spoil them, it was really expensive, but if you're really going to spoil them, you'd anoint their head with oil. And so people were out all day. There wasn't an opportunity back then to shower as often as we do now, and so things get a little stinky. You know what I'm talking about? Like, so what they would do is, it was customary, is you'd anoint people's head with 
oil when they came in. And it was, it was fragranced oil. And so as they would anoint you, there would be this fragrance that would, would fill the room around you. And it was meant to be, it was meant to be refreshing, right? It was meant to just be a, a, a gift. It's an anointing. It's a pouring upon. It's what anointing means. A, a, a pouring upon of this oil. It says, you anoint my head with oil and, and my cup overflows. At the table, God anoints your head with oil and he'll cause your cup to overflow. In scripture, oil and water, water and oil represent the, the spirit of God upon our lives. And at the table, the spirit of God will meet you in such a way that he, there's an anointing now on you. You walk away from the table just, just smelling a little different. You don't stink as much as you did before you got to the table, everybody. Why? Because I've just been anointed. I got, God has just touched my life. And now my cup that once was running on empty is overflowing. Like you bump me and you're going to get some. Just spilling this everywhere. Why? Because my life is overflowing, overflowing. That's the life that God has promised for his kids. That's the life that God has promised for you. It's an overflowing. So why? Why so many of us feel like, I don't feel like I'm overflowing. I don't, I don't feel like I have all that strength. I don't feel, hey, here's a good question. Where you been bringing your cup? Because we do this. I know I need. Will you fill my cup? Just a little? Oh, man, that's, that's not what I needed. And Will you fill my And you're running around to all these places that always overpromise and underdeliver. Oh, if you come over here, I promise you're going to be full. Give it all to me. And you're like, that's, I still don't feel full. Will you? And, you, and you, you're running around. Well, maybe if I talk with them, maybe if I try that, maybe if I do this, maybe if I experience that, maybe if I go back. And you run into all these things only to end up empty. And you always will until you learn to come to the table and say, God, would you fill my life? Would you fill my cup? Here's what God's going to say. He's going to say, well, dump all that junk out. And let me fill your life. Overflowing. Like, not just like enough to get by. It's overflowing. You know, there's a word for that. Old school word called repentance. You know what that means? That means you turn from everything you've been trying to have fill your cup. And you turn to him. You know, I, when I gave my life to Jesus, I repented. I, I turned from all the things I was turning to to try to fill my life. And I said, God, I'm going to come to the table. I'm going to come to you. I repented. You know what I did this morning when I woke up? <laughs> I repented. God, I need you today as much as I did that first day when I committed my life to you. Guess what I'm going to do tomorrow morning? I'm going to repent. I'm just going to keep turning from and turning to in every area of my life. Someone say there's a table. Someone say there's a table. And can I tell you about the house? There's a table right here, and there's a house over there. I come to the table every single day while I'm waiting for that house. David says this in the book of Psalms. David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house. Someone say house. In the house of the Lord forever. Get this, everybody, watch. 
David's like, I've learned to come to that table every day. How'd you stay so centered, David? How'd you get it spin out of control? How, how was life not dizzy for you? So I came to that table every single day, and here's what I found, is that when I left that table, goodness and mercy were following me. Just like everywhere, I turn around, oh, it's goodness and mercy again. Like everywhere, I can't get it. Goodness and mercy, they just keep, everywhere I go in life, goodness and mercy follow my life because I've come to that table every day. Goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. My life. While I'm walking toward the house, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, Christian. You're hemmed in, nothing can mess with you. You've got the promise of the table right here and you got a house over there. We need to start learning to live with an eternal perspective. That you just see everything in, in, in light of eternity. Like if you don't have it, life's gonna kick your tail. It's hard. If you don't have an eternal perspective, there's a whole lot of things to be afraid of, isn't there? If you don't have eternal perspective, I'm telling you friends, there's a lot of very real things to be afraid of. Like, like sickness is real. War is real. COVID, like was, is, I mean, it's real. And there's so many things to be afraid of. Unless you're a person of faith. Because when you're a person of faith, you've got a home over there. So throw at me what you may, dear world. But you can't touch me. I've got a table right here. And I, and I, if you even take my life, Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die, he says, I'm gain. It's all good. Like, no matter what you do, Paul's like, you can't, you can't sink somebody like that. Jesus talking about the end times. He says, when you see these things happening, wars and rumors of wars, and when the world's going crazy around you, he said, lift up your head, for your time draws near. What? Lift up your head. Like, look to the eternal. See, you're either looking around or you're looking up. You can't do both. So you choose to look up. It's eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though inwardly we are wasting away, yet, yet, inward, yet outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving in us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul, how'd you do it? I just kept my eyes on the eternal. Colossians tells us to set our minds on things above. And that's a, that's a by the way, that's a, it's a discipline. You gotta learn that. Like here's, here's how you know how you're doing is when the rug gets pulled out, where do you set your mind? On the temporal eternal. Where do, where do you go in your thoughts? When it all drops out. When, when the thread is there, is you're like, I got a home in heaven. I got a home in heaven. Or like, oh my gosh. We have got to train ourselves to see past all of this and recognize that there's a home. Can I have you for another couple moments? Can I have you for another couple moments? I want to share something with you. Come with me in your mind back to, back to 1948. 1948, three years after we dropped the atomic bomb on, there, on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, 
everybody's freaking out. Everybody thinks that they're the next city. Everyone's talking about the atomic bomb. Like every, every conversation's about the atomic bomb. You turn on the news, atomic bomb, atomic bomb. Everything's this atomic bomb. And because we've never seen anything like this before. And everybody, rightfully so, is, is freaking out every conversation about the atomic bomb. And C.S. Lewis, is a believer, he sits down and he writes an essay. And I want you to hear this, this way back in the day. And he writes an essay. Now, you can replace atomic bomb with whatever fear or whatever thing in this world you might be facing and listen to the perspective of somebody who's got some faith. It shifts. I mean, you could put the word COVID in here. You could put whatever you want in. And here's what C.S. Lewis said in this essay. And I'll put it on the screen so you can read it. He says, in one way, we, I believe we have for the screens. If not, listen in. In one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How, how do we live in an atomic age? And he says, I'm tempted to reply. Why, as you have lived in the 16th century when the plagues visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking age when the raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night, or indeed as you already are living in the age of cancer, in the age of syphilis, or in the age of paralysis, or in the age of air rage, the age of railway accidents, the age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin to exaggerate the novelty of our situation. Isn't it wild that when we, as we're moving through COVID, everyone's like, this is unprecedented. And seriously, don't, don't exaggerate the novelty of this. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. Thank you, C.S. Lewis. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, and that's anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go around whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristles with such chances and in which one death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the point to be made, he says. And this is the first action to be taken. It's to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, fill in the blank with whatever you might put in the blank. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb come. Let when that bomb comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and playing darts. C.S. Lewis said you could have a pint. Not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. Why? Because I got a different perspective. I got a table right here, and I got a house over there. So bring what you may. I'm going to be okay. The sailor, as he's navigating very rough seas, doesn't look into the changing storm around him, the, the changing landscape around him. He can't navigate the water that way. He's got to look up to the eternal, to the stars, to the promise, to the things that are unchanging. 
And those are the things that will navigate that sailor safely through whatever storm that sailor might face. Some of you need to lift your eyes today off the problems and get them on the promise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Come on, church, amen.